Welcome to the Healing School Podcast. This is a place where you can get built up in the Word of God concerning healing. This is a place of truth and bold faith in the Word of God. We encourage you to get your Bible and some notepaper. Write down what the Lord is speaking to you. This is a place for both receiving and ministering healing. The stronger your faith gets in this area, the more effective you will be for the kingdom of our God. Hold fast to the scriptures. The truth of the scripture never changes and it never gets old. These are episodes you can feed on time and time again. Please share our podcasts with other people. Most always, someone either needs healing or knows someone who does. God bless you and heal you as you hear his word. Wait till everyone gets gets seated. How's everyone this morning? Awesome, blessed, glad to be alive, glad to be here for such a time as this. It looks like we're all over this way. I'm going to move it. Oh, Esher, now you made me go back. All right. Well, if you were here earlier, and I know some were, with Myra's prayer and at the ending of it, boy, we're on the same page. The name of my message is The Purpose of His Presence. You know, why, why do we carry his presence? Why are we, we're Christians and we have his presence. What do we do with it? What do we do with it? How do we get it? Well, you're in his word. You spend time with him. You're in prayer. I have actually asked the Lord. There's ones in my family, and I'm sure all of you can relate to this. Some close relatives, some children, some grandchildren, and others friends, co-workers that I used to work with, and good, good friends that I would witness to, and I would tell them about Jesus, try to be the example, pray for them. I'd fast, and they seem no closer than they were before. And I'm like, Lord, Lord. And he said, my presence, you need more of my presence. You need more of my presence And I'm trying to, you know, I'm fasting, which is a good thing, and prayer, good. But he said, you need more of my presence. That's for all of us. That's for all of us. There's some hard nuts to crack out there. And I know in my own family, and I'm like, I just don't get it. But he said, more of my presence, more of my presence. They just don't seem interested. They will, but more of his presence. You know, there's something about his presence that just clears the way, clears the way, makes everything else pale around you. Jesus said we are to be the salt and the light. And I'm going to read out of the Message Bible, and it's Matthew 5.13, and this is talking about us being the salt. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your use if, excuse me, you've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage if you've lost your saltiness. And then verse 14 through 16, again in the message, talks about us being the light. 
Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Our light is to be revealed, not hidden. Do you remember as a kid in Sunday school, this little light of mine? And that's this little light of mine. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to let it shine, but, you know, and they won't let Satan eat it out, and I'm not going to put it under a bushel and so forth. That is what we are supposed to be, how we are supposed to be with who's in us, not keep it, you know, and I've got I've to say that as a, as a young Christian, I was very shy. It's hard to believe these days, but I was very shy. And a friend of mine said one time, and it stunned me. She said, you know what you are? And I said, what's that? You're a closet Christian. And that hurt. But you know what? She hit the nail on the head. Oh, I was a Christian, and I'd pray, and I'd go to church and come home and do my thing. But not a whole lot of people really knew. And that really hurt, but it like woke me up. A closet Christian? I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And the older I've gotten and the more, you know, I've, I've been in the Word and spent time with the Lord, it's like, I don't know about you, but I am tired of just being that mediocre Christian. I'm tired of that. And it's like, no, draw a line in the sand, and we are not going to be mediocre anymore. We're, we're world changers and earth shakers sitting here this morning. And if it's not us, who's it going to be? We have to do this. We don't want to be mediocre. Make, your, make it up in your mind and your heart. Settle it once and for, for all. You're going to pursue the presence of God. Your lifestyle is going to be one of pursuit of God. You know, I want to be the one you walk into a restaurant and people may not see me, but they're going to see him. They're going to know something's different. And I don't know about you, but I have had people say, there's something different about you. They can't quite figure it out. And at first you're like, hmm, you know, what, what does that mean? But it, it's in a good way. They're trying to figure it out. And it's Jesus Christ in us. Jesus Christ in us. You know, they may not know that we're there, but he's there. I just, I want that. I want people, you read about people, I'm a history buff. I, when I was in college, I know a lot of people, I hate history. Well, it was, it was you know, my minor in, in college. I love history. And I love to study a lot of the old revivals and so forth. But people would just, you know, fall down on their knees and cry out. I want what you, I have to have what you have. We're going to see that. We are going to see that here in Mesa, Arizona, and in this United States of America. Hallelujah. You know, I just want to be so saturated with him. We carry his fragrance. We carry his fragrance and aroma. 
we should be having a public impact wherever we go. If you're at the grocery store, where, wherever, you know, if you're shopping, you name it. I think I've prayed for people probably in every grocery store almost in Mesa, East Mesa. And it's like people are drawn to you. And I was, a gentleman was there looking at avocados and he said, can you help me? I don't know what's a good avocado and what isn't. And his wife, he said, my wife usually does this, but she's sick. Chance to pray with this man. You know, we got to be open, open to that and just let Holy Spirit draw these people to you and you to them. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, you don't have to turn there, but Paul calls people who are uncomfortable with this aroma, they try to water down the message and the fragrance of Christ. He called them peddlers of God's word. And we know there's a lot of good churches, good churches, but they water down the message and they, they make it so we can draw more people in and people don't get uncomfortable and, you know, Holy Spirit's really reined in. And I won't call them peddlers of God's word, but that's what Paul said. I just want to, and I know this isn't a real, probably nice term, but just reek of the fragrance of Jesus. I know you've all had somebody maybe sit next to you, whether it's in church, a movie, wherever you're at, and they've got perfume on. And boy, do they have perfume on. And it just, whew. Or even a guy with, you know, aftershave or whatever, and it's like, whoa. They reek of it. Well, that's how we need to reek of his presence, that fragrance, that fragrance, the aroma of Christ. And it comes with a lifestyle of abiding in him, abiding in him. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1, alludes to Jesus as the Rose of Sharon. And Sharon is um, at the foot of Mount Carmel, and I mean, I've never been there, but I was, was uh, researching it, is the Plain of Sharon, and there, it's very fertile, and there's a lot of uh, different trees and bushes and shrubs and roses. So he's called the Rose of Sharon. And how many know when you have a, a beautiful rose and you smell it, oh, it's so beautiful, his fragrance, his fragrance. And I was at a conference once, Holy Spirit was moving, and there was probably, it was a room that held about 500 people, and it was packed out. And the message, you know, we were worshiping, there was a great message, then more worship, and all of a sudden, this smell just started wafting through this room of 500 people. And you could see it started at the front, and you'd see people like, do you smell what? You know, like trying to figure it out. What is that? Well, it got to where my friend and I were, and it just, it was the most beautiful smell. And it wasn't somebody's perfume, wasn't somebody's aftershave, because it just covered the whole room. And it was, the best I can describe it, it had hints of vanilla, and hints of like maybe a floral or a spicy smell. And it just lingered, and everybody just, I remember we, we stopped worshiping and we're just sitting in that presence of his fragrance. And I've never experienced that since, but I think that's the fragrance 
of Jesus, of his presence. Kind of like a spicy cinnamon, vanilla. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Now, I actually I said to the Lord, well, what does Jesus smell like? Was that really Jesus? And he, he took me to Psalm 45, and it's verses 7 or 8. Or excuse me. It's, uh, yes, uh, Psalm 45, verses 7 and 8. And this is out of the New King James. And it's a prophetic description of the Messiah. But it says, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh, aloes, and cassia. So I looked up myrrh. And myrrh, it says, has a very earthy smell. Uh, it comes from a flowering bush that there's a resin secreted. And it said it's a very earthy smell. And myrrh identifies Jesus with his pain and sorrow uh, in, his, in his ministry and then in the garden. And then the next was aloe. And aloe, I mean, I have aloe plants at home, and they don't have a whole lot of a smell, and if anything, maybe a light cucumber-type smell, something like that. But it said aloe is traditionally symbolic of his um, physical, emotional, and spiritual healing and restoration through his redemptive work on the cross. And then the last, cassia, that is... It has a cinnamon, spicy, aromatic smell. And it's a flower. And it says it's a symbol of his humility and the complete surrender of his will to the Father. And it should be of our will to him. And it says cassia has the ability to kill bacteria. And so it also symbolizes his triumph over the devil and the powers of darkness. So that's just a little side note, but I, you know, what, what does, what, was that really legit what we smelled? And it was. Cassia. It's symbolic of humility and the complete surrender of his will to the Father and how our wills should be surrendered to him. It has the ability to kill bacteria and so it also symbolizes his triumph over the devil and all the powers of darkness. Now, another kind of, you know, we're supposed to be the salt and the light. And then to, you know, have his presence as that fragrance. Another type of his presence, uh, different terms, but the one I found was presence evangelism. This is where people take note. They've been with Jesus. They have been with Jesus. The presence, they know you've been with Jesus. It's almost as though there's a residue on us when we go out and about. They've been with Jesus. In Acts 3, Peter and John had healed a lame man who had been lame from birth, who sat at the gate beautiful all of his life, as an adult anyway, and begged for money. And as they were going into the temple, you know, they stopped and he looked. And he probably thought, they're going to give me something. And what did Peter say? 
you know, gold and silver have I not, but what I have I will give you. You know, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. And he did. He'd never walked in his life. He'd been lame from birth, and he jumped up, it said, and he leaped. Can you imagine? You never could move, and then you, you have this man speak this, and you jump up and you leap. Well, then, of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees and all of the scribes, and so they didn't like that, you know. Why did you, you know, they ask Jesus all these questions, or, or excuse me, uh, Peter and John, you know, they, they see him doing this, uh, see them doing the same thing that Jesus did, and they don't like it. They don't like it. So Acts uh, chapter 4, and I'm going to read this. It's a few verses, but it's verses 1 through 13 in the New King James. And this is Peter and John are arrested. Now as they spoke to the people, that's Peter and John, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so these authorities, they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word and believed in the number of men came to be about 5,000. This man that had sat at that gate was probably, he was known by everybody in that town. And he'd been that way all his life. And when they saw him walking and leaping, and 5,000, 5,000 came to Jesus. And it says, it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them, being Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him stands this man here before you whole. And then down to verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So people need to be saying about us, they've been with Jesus. When we walk out somewhere and we're ministering, we're healing, we're saving, that people will say, that per they've been with Jesus. They have been with Jesus. Hallelujah. And then in Acts 5, verses 12 and 15, again in the New King James, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And Solomon's porch um, was a long walkway it was covered and it had huge columns and that was on the way in and out of the temple so the apostles were there in that walkway healing people doing miracles so as people came and went into the temple they see all this you know unfolding 
And it says, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. Some call this shadow healing, but you know, it wasn't Peter's shadow that really healed them. It was the anointing. But I also read there was a, like a superstition among the, the early Hebrews that said they believed a person's anointing would extend as far as their shadow would extend. So I'm like, hmm, now that kind of explains why they would bring him out and put him in his shadow. But it wasn't his shadow. It was that presence, that residue of Jesus Christ. They'd been with him. And can you imagine us? We've all been somewhere that maybe we pass a homeless person stretched out or with their dog or sitting there. And can you imagine we just walk past him and something happens? That our shadow, if you want to call it, but that presence touches them, heals them. Hallelujah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Gospel of Mark talks about the country of the Gadarenes. And it says in Mark 5 that immediately after Jesus uh, rebuked the sea and the waves and the wind during that great storm, they landed in the country of the Gadarenes. And you know, something happened that day that I pray this will happen, and I believe it will in our day. But when Jesus set his foot on the shore of that country, I read that these cliffs where this uh, demoniac lived was about half a mile from where the boat and where the shore was. So in that half a mile, he saw Jesus, and Jesus put his foot on that shore, and that man went running. He went running to him, half a mile. This man had been under constant, you know, you read the account. He was demonized, and he would cut himself. He wouldn't keep clothes on. He lived in the, the caves and the graves and so forth. And you know, he was probably out there hollering and yelling and screaming, and they said he would, he would have you know, supernatural strength. The chains would break. The shackles would break off. The demons, the demons were controlling him. You know, what changed? The presence of God. When Jesus set his foot, God set foot in that country. And that man came running. That man came running. And what did he say? I've got to go back to my Bible here, see what he said. Start, it's, it's chapter 5 of Mark, and I'm going to start in, uh, well, let's just, let's just go ahead and read it. They went to the other side of the sea to the region of the Gadarenes. When he had come out of the boat, immediately a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could constrain him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. 
but he had pulled the chains apart and broken the shackles to pieces. No one could subdue him. Always at night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran up and kneeled before him and cried out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then he asked him, what's your name? And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. And we know the story as it continues. He was changed. He was fully, the villagers came out to see what had gone on. He's fully clothed. He's coherent. He's talking to Jesus. He's like a, he's a normal human being delivered from those demons because that presence, that power, you know, and you might say, well, that was Jesus. Well, Jesus is in us, and he says that we will do greater things than he did. So we might not be at the shore of the gatherings, but we might be at the, uh, you know, the doorway of fries. And you step in there, you take authority. That fries belongs to you. When you step in there as a believer, anywhere you go, you claim it. This belongs to me in the name of Jesus. And you go out there and you touch people. The purpose of his manifest presence is to set the captives free, to fulfill Luke 4.18, where Jesus said, the Spirit is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you know, he wants to finish what he said here in Nazareth where they just shut him down. They didn't honor him. They didn't believe in his, his deity and he said in Luke 4.21, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And I'd like us to go to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, we won't read all of it, but in Isaiah 6.1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Well, first of all, King Uzziah had reigned 52 years. That's a long reign. And so Isaiah had been under, you know, his, his authority 52 years. And it says when the year that King Uzziah died... Sometimes something has to die in us, in our life, in a relationship for us to go to the next level. Sometimes something has to die for you to go to that next level. And in this case, King Uzziah had died. And there was, there was the throne room. The Lord, sitting on the throne high and lifted up, his train filled the temple I just get a picture of that. We all have seen brides with the long trains on their dresses. 
That's nothing compared to this. It filled the temple. And the temple, if it's, you know, the size of, say, the one that was on earth, that's a big train. That's a mighty God that that train fills the temple. How, how marvelous, how majestic. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I read that, you know, seraphim are very high-ranking angels and that they cover their eyes because even though they're there in the presence of God, the holiness, they can't look. They cover their eyes and they cover their feet because remember when he said to Moses, take your shoes, this is holy ground, take your shoes off. They cover their feet and the other two wings they use to fly around. And holy, 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 I read one commentary that said, why did, they, why did they say holy, 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 you know, three times? Because of the Trinity. Holy, holy, holy. And that they're powerful. Their voices are so powerful. It says, the posts of the door moved in the temple at the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. As they said, holy, 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 the posts were shaking, and the place filled with smoke, with glory. And Isaiah, can you imagine being Isaiah there and witnessing this? I mean, if he's, just if he's standing by the doorway and it starts shaking, I mean, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And he said, woe is me, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of lords. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar in his hand. And he laid it on my mouth and he said, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. He said, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. As Isaiah had this personal breakthrough with God in person, and I think it's, it's noteworthy, these seraphim, you think they're almighty, all-powerful. Why didn't they just pick up a coal? It said they used tongs. They were hot coals. And I was reading various commentaries, like, what happened to Isaiah's lips? You know? And I mean, of course, we, we don't know, but it was a hot coal because they used tongs to put, but he had, a, he had a breakthrough there. We each need to have an individual breakthrough like this, saying, I have seen the Lord. Before your church or your family or anything's going to happen, you need that breakthrough. You need that breakthrough, get in his presence, seek him. You know, does that mean you're going to have the vision like Isaiah? I, you know, God could do it. He might show up in your living room. You might have a dream or just a vision. But you need, we each need that individual breakthrough 
to break through for our families, for our health, our bodies, for our finances, for our church. And you need it first before it's going to happen anywhere else. Again, his presence, his presence. So what's the purpose of his presence in our lives? To draw others to him, not to us. And I read an interesting uh, note about Charles Finney, who was an American preacher, second uh, great awakening in America, and it ran from 1790 to 1840. Protestant churches experienced great revival. That's where camp meetings started and, and so forth. And they would last weeks. He was walking through a factory with a friend, wanted to show him this factory that he owned. And as Charles Finney did not say one word and walked through the factory, workers began to drop to their knees and cry out and repent and ask for forgiveness and that they wanted what he had. Again, that presence, that presence, just drawing them. He didn't say a word, didn't say one word, didn't preach to them, walked through, and that happened. So we just ask that you saturate us this morning, Lord, while we sit here with your presence, that when we leave here, wherever it is we go and we go home, people, people, people will be drawn to us. They will be drawn to you. God, open their eyes to see the opportunities and their ears to hear Holy Spirit to be led in these situations. Thank you, Lord. You might have thought I was closing, but that wasn't. <laughs> Now, I said I enjoy history, and I love revivals, to read about them. Now, one, I've, I've talked about this once before in healing school, but it's the Hebrides revival. The Hebrides are little islands off the coast of Scotland. And the Hebrides revival went from 1949 to 1953. Good year. Year I was born, it started. There were two elderly sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. The one was 84 and blind. The other was 82. They both had severe arthritis. They were crippled. It said they were bent over. But they would faithfully go to their little local parish and go to church. And the one that could see, which I think was um, Christine, she would tell Peggy, I don't see any young people here. There's no young people here anymore. It's just us old people. So they determined at 84 and 82 to go home and start praying. They went to their little cottage, which I've seen pictures of it. It's like the, you know, the stone cottage, the floor just very rough. There wasn't carpeting. They're crippled. They're bent over. The one's blind. They would kneel and pray on Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 10 p.m. until 3 or 4 in the morning for revival and to bring people, young people specifically, back to the church and to know the Lord. Well, they you know, weren't seeing many results, so they went back to the pastor and they said, we need the elders. It doesn't say how many elders. It was a small parish, so it might have been two. I, mean, I, I don't know, but they asked for the elders. The elders started joining them. 
Tuesdays and Thursdays, 10 p.m. till 3 or 4 a.m., on their knees on this stone cobble-type floor. Well, then they saw some things starting to change. Hey, man, they started to see some people coming. It still wasn't like this huge revival yet, but they saw a few coming back. They had a real burden. And it made me think of this church. You know, it doesn't take but a few to have the burden to cry out, to bring people, call people in. You know, it doesn't take, I want to say it would, all of us, but if, if it's a couple that are just really pressing in and on their knees, God will use them. God will use one person. Well, breakthrough came. There was a man by the name of Duncan Campbell, and he was in Scotland, and he was an evangelist. Well, they started to see people coming, and so they called Duncan Campbell and said, come over. We know there's going to be a revival. So Duncan Campbell came, and it said that he and another uh, of the elder, elders conducted a revival meeting, and they were the only two there. And they were very discouraged. And it was December 13th, 1949. And it says, towards the end of the meeting, they're ready to close up and go home. And they heard a commotion. And they looked outside this little building where they were at. There were six to 700 people outside wanting to hear about the Lord. It said the dance halls emptied. Holy Spirit woke people up and they came to the church in their pajamas. And it said God became his own publicity agent because he, Holy Spirit was moving and getting people there. They said there, there wasn't enough room in this, I don't know if it was the church or a small building, but people were inside, people were looking in the windows, people were at the door, people are outside. Six to seven hundred from all these little villages converged. And another night, the police called Duncan Campbell and said, you got to come here. 4 a.m. in the morning, and he's like, what is going on? He goes to the police station. There are throngs of people at the police station on their knees crying to the police. We know we've done something wrong. We don't know who to go to. And they said, well, what are you coming to us for? But that was their first thought. Go to the authorities because I've, I've done something wrong. They were being so convicted. And it said, they called him at four in the morning. So, you know, he had to walk to the station. And it said he, as he was walking, it was a rural area, coal mining and, and um, you know, rural and farming and so forth. And he said he'd walk past a haystack and he'd see these men laid out and bawling and He'd walk further, and a house had the door open, and there's a mama in her nightgown and her little ones, and they're all crying and, and repenting. And he'd walk down the cobblestone street, and there's men at the lamppost on their knees just crying out to God. He said it was unbelievable. It was all Holy Spirit. So he gets to the police station. He goes to the front steps, and he preached and he had an altar call, and they were all saved. All saved. Hallelujah. 
And the same thing with the Welsh revival. One man, Evan Roberts in Wales, as a little boy, he was a Christian, his parents were Christians, he worked in the coal mines from a little boy, and he would take his Bible, and instead of eating lunch, he read his Bible and he prayed. And he called in revival for Wales, and that country was changed. The animals were changed because the coal miners were pretty coarse men and drank and swore, and the animals only knew this abuse. And when they got saved, you know, come on. And animals didn't know how to respond. It affected everything, everything. The jails were, were cleared out. The judges were just like twiddling their thumbs. They had no cases. It was amazing. And if God did it once, praise God. He's, he's going to do it again. Amen. Amen. So in, in closing, I just wanted to give you some characteristics of revival and awakening. Just keep your eyes open, you know, and your ears peeled. The first thing is prayer. Prayer, that's the dominant factor. And it was a delight, it wasn't a chore. These people would just drop down anywhere and be praying and repenting and crying out, and then these ladies, you know, praying. I mean, I'm thinking, I you know, I'm up here for two minutes, and I'm like, oh, my knee. You know, and they're on cobblestone, and they're already crippled, and one's blind, and they're in their 80s from 10 to 3 or 4 in the morning. I don't know when I've ever done that, honestly. I've been to some overnight-type prayer meetings, but anyway, you know. So prayer is the dominant feature of revival and awakening. An awareness of the presence of God it said men would walk home in this little this Hebrides revival, stop at a, a lamppost, take their hat off, and say, brothers, God is everywhere. And these were the same men that just prior to this were drinking, they were in the saloons, they were not going home, they were spending all the money, their families were in poverty, and they're saying, God is everywhere. Praise God. The next thing is intensity. The awareness of the holiness of God was overwhelming and supernatural. It wasn't just ordinary, run-of-the-mill, another day. Expectancy was at a high level. They're repenting on, you know, corners. I mean, there was intensity. There was intensity. The power of God was noticeable. This was the next, the next characteristic. They were convicted. Not one soul was speaking to them, and they just dropped down. They're convicted. Holy Spirit. And the centrality of the Bible as the base of it all, the Word of God, was preached, and that's what started it all, plus the prayer. Anointed preaching that Duncan Campbell and others but we have those people today. They could be sitting here. You know, Duncan Campbell's, Evan Roberts, others, you know, Amy Semple McPherson, all these that you read about. Catherine Coleman. Look at their videos, study them, and just let that, the, the word is mashock. Just let it, you know, let it come on you and, and yeah, let, let God, you know, do a work. There was great joy. People weren't laying there moaning about what they, what they 
well, I'm not going back to drinking or breaking the law. They were joyful. They were joyful. And it said there was heartfelt singing everywhere, and it changed the atmosphere. People could be heard singing everywhere, on their jobs, walking down the street. Wonderful, wonderful change in the atmosphere. It said there was no age gap. There was love and unity from the littlest up to the oldest. They were all saved and changed. It was said the old became young. Yes! There was timelessness. Now listen to this. People would arrive home from these meetings, 3, 4, 5 a.m. They would get up and go to work at 7 a.m. And it said, Holy Spirit did a work. They said they were not tired. It seemed as though time vanished. Now, can you imagine if we're here and Pastor Cindy says, come out at midnight. We're going to probably be here till 4 in the morning. How many people do you think you'd have here? Oh, I got to get up and work. And look at this. Holy Spirit just took away their tiredness. And it said the sense of time, just the presence was so glorious. They didn't care about the time. And the faithfulness of converts, they did studies after, a few years after, and it said the number of converts, I read this of uh, various studies, it said maybe four people out of the four that had been saved backslid. <laughs> four out of thousands? That's pretty awesome, you know, pretty awesome. I mean, I don't, I don't know how reliable or where they how they conducted this study or whatever, but that's what it said. There was a lot of phenomena that occurred. People falling into trances. And I don't know if you've ever read about Mariah uh, Woodworth Etter, but she was a, a oh, powerful woman of God. And I've got a book on her sermons, and it's like, whew. And she would be preaching, and she was a tiny little thing. And she, of course, had the dress of like early 1900, you know, the high neck and long. And... and she would go into a trance, and her hands were very tiny. She was very dainty. And she would go into a trance, and often her little hand was just up. And she might be there for hours. But people were, God would do some things that, you know, people were not used to. It said there was also houses shaking as if there were earthquakes, but there were no earthquakes. It was the presence of God. They'd be in prayer and on their knees. How would you like that? Your house starts shaking. But it's God. He said there was a lot of heavenly music and the sound of angels singing. And the last thing, of course, there was a lot of opposition. Mainline churches didn't like it one bit. Of course, they said it was this and it was that and it wasn't God and it's not a true move and so forth. There's always going to be opposition because there's a devil. Yeah. So purpose of his presence, be the salt and light, be his fragrance, be the presence carrier. Draw others to you. Let's pray. Oh, saints today, let's be God chasers and soul winners. Stir up your gifts. Let the hunger grow in your heart for God alone, for his presence, not what he can do for you, not how he's going to fix things, not anything. Seek him. 
Oh, Lord, we're hungry for you this morning, each and every one of us here. We are hungry for you and you alone, for your presence, for your presence, not what you can bless us with, not what you can do for us, your presence, your presence. Change us, Lord, from the inside out. Clean us out to be a holy habitation for you. Just let that fire burn. Clean out what's not of you. Clean us out. And Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor today. Let ears hear and let the hearts receive the word today to seek him as never before. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen.